All right. Thank you again for being here. This morning, we're going to look in Ezekiel for a minute. I just want to share a thought with us. I think that will help us this morning. Um, when we think about our lives and <coughs> what we should be doing and where we should be going, life is really about progressing, right? <clears throat> it's about growing. It's becoming better. It's, it's, it's not just sitting still. It's about learning some things. Um, you know, the, 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 a lot of cultures, they have, a lot of, they have more respect, actually, than we have in our country for those that are older. Because they realize that there's some things that people that have lived a longer time, just by the fact that they've experienced things, <clears throat> they know what's going on. Every area of our life, <coughs> we should be progressing in marriages. Say, well, pastor, how do I do that? I knew you were going to ask. Come to the couples retreat. Okay, November 16th to 18th, and uh, you'll have a great time. Parenting. You know who knows the most about parenting? <clears throat> Couples that don't have children, or they have a baby. Like, I know everything about parenting. I know, I know. As they get older, that's when parenting really, it starts early, but the longer you're doing it, the more you're going to have to learn. <clears throat> Maybe it's in our careers, or it's just as we develop in life. You know, the fact, that, the fact of the matter is, if we're not progressing in life, we're dying. Come on. Yeah. So I'll just kind of sit still. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You're either going forward yeah. or you're starting to go backward and you just right. have not Amen. realized that. Yeah. Whenever you stop progressing, you start just living your life for today. You're just trying to make it through the day, get the bills paid. There's no source of excitement or energy for the future. You'll lose your purpose and you'll just start existing. You'll lose your vision for life and you'll have trouble focusing. There's always a reason, though, why people quit progressing, right? It's usually traced to a point in life or a specific event in life that causes you from going forward. I read a story many years ago I checked this guy up on the internet. His name was Joe Hammond. Joe Hammond was a basketball player. He was literally a high draft pick of the Los Angeles Lakers in the early 70s. Is one of these <clears throat> high school, these park legends. He, it was said that in a, he played a pickup game at a park, and Julius Irving was on the other team, and he scored 50 points. He never played one game in the NBA. He was making more money with the things he was doing on the streets than he was making in the NBA. And he said, nope, I'm not going to do it. By the way, those things weren't legal. Caused him a lot of problems in life. That point in life had dire circumstances. But there are points in our life that have circumstances like that as well. <clears throat> as we get to the, as we look at, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, the Jews are in the beginning of the 70-year captivity. They had disobeyed God, and God said, because you disobeyed me, I'm going to allow Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to come take you captive. <clears throat> you're going to go into Babylon, you're going to be there for 70 years. This is the seventh year since they were taken captive. So some of the leaders come to Ezekiel, who's also in exile. And they say, Ezekiel, we want to hear from God. Now, if you've read through those books, many times they came, even to Jeremiah, and say, we want to hear from God, but we know that they typically did not want to hear from God. 
They wanted to hear from God and see if God was agreeing with what they wanted. And as long as God agreed with what they wanted, they would have been okay with it. Look at what it says in verse 3. <clears throat> Here's how God responded to them coming to Ezekiel say, hey, speak to God for us. Here's what God says. Verse 3. He says, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. God says, no. I don't want to hear it. You're not going to come here and I'm not going to waste my time talking to you because he knew that they did not listen. So what did God tell them? Verse 4, he tells Ezekiel, cause them to know the abominations of their fathers. What he said is, he goes, tell them, I don't want them to come ask me to find out what I want because God knew they're not going to listen. And he said, just tell them about the abominations of their fathers. Now, why? Because they're making the same mistakes their, their elders had made, which caused them to be in that position in the first place. They were inconsistent. And because of that, things did not go well. There were times when they, they literally bailed out on God. They quit on God. On, on Sunday nights, I've been going through a series, and I've mentioned it, what God wants from us. He wants commitment. And consistency. Those two have to go together. He didn't want this thing they were doing like, well, you know, we want to hear from God. God knew better. Those were the things that the Jews struggled with. But <coughs> there are some things we can learn from this chapter about their progression of faith that we can apply to our lives. You see, God wants the Christian life to be a, a lifelong pursuit of him. You say, well, pastor, I've arrived as a Christian. You've never seen the map. Okay? We may think we've arrived, but it's like we've arrived where we're at, but we need to look ahead. We have a long way to go. Problems occur when we get to the place where we stop progressing. That's where the issues in our life can, can, can really get to us. Some people stop earlier in the progress. Some people go farther down the road before they kind of divert. And some people go way far down the road before something causes them to quit progressing. But in this chapter, I see that there are several places that I would call sticking points for the Jews. Certain places where some of them got off. Where when they hit that point in life, that was the point where they stopped progressing. And it caused them issues going forward. Some places were farther than others. But there were places where they get stuck. Now, I've been a pastor for about 10 years now. I've been working here for 35 years. And I can tell you just by a course of, of common sense and being here, I've seen this play out over and over and over and over. Yeah. <coughs> I've seen people go forward. Yeah. I've seen people allow God to work in their lives. And they'll get to a certain point, And all of a sudden, it's just they divert. Some of it, it's some people. That's a problem. Some people, it's earlier in the process. Some people, it's farther in the process. Yeah. But I want us to see it this morning so we can check it out and say, hey, am I one of those points? We need to identify them for the purpose of avoiding them. So here's the two thoughts I want to leave you with this morning, the short time that we have. First of all, I want to show you the sticking point places. As we look at the example of the Jews, a lot of it's really example of the Christian life. I see and clearly identify some points where they got stuck. 
What were these? <clears throat> Look at verse 6. <clears throat> the first place is Egypt. What does that represent, salvation? Look at verse 6. He says, in the day that I, that I lifted up my hand unto them to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into a land that I espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, <coughs> which is the glory of lands. <clears throat> then said I unto them, cast ye away every man the abomination of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord thy God. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes, <clears throat> neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. See, in other words, God's first goal was to get them out of Egypt. Now, we know if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, Egypt, i got to stay away from that thing, okay? The monitors are a little schizoid over here. That's why that one's struggling over there. Stay away. Bad. Um, so Egypt pictures the world. That's, the, that's when you're not saved. You're not a Christian. And God wanted to bring them out of that system. He no longer wanted them to be under the, the bondage of Pharaoh. Just like if we're unsaved, God doesn't want us to be under the bondage of Satan. And he wanted to bring them out of, of Egypt. That's what Egypt stands for. And he says, look, get rid of your idols. <clears throat> Why? Because you can't serve God and idols at the same time. By the way, when you become a Christian, you're trusting Christ, you know what you're, you're doing? You're not just saying yes to Christ. You're saying no to every other form of belief and worship. When I trusted Christ for my salvation, what I was saying is, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting 100% in what you did and 0% in anything else. You don't just add Jesus on top of something else. We had a guy one time who was a, a missionary to Thailand for a while, and he said <coughs> he was back in the States, and he met a lady in, in a distant city, and he went to witness to her and, and uh, talked to her about trusting Christ as Savior and asked her if she wanted to do it. And she said, yeah, I will, because, and she looked up there. She had a, a little worship center for her, for her ancestors, which some of those, they worship their ancestors. And she had another one for Buddha. And she told him, she said, yes, I will receive Christ. That way I can have Christ, I can have my ancestors, and I can have Buddha. And this missionary very wisely said, that's not how it works. If you say yes to Jesus, you're saying no to your ancestors, and you're saying no to Buddha. You have to trust Jesus Christ. That's where a lot of people get stuck. <coughs> they never trust Christ in the first place, Right? Say, well, pastor, I'm at church this morning. That's great. But understand this, that coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than me standing in my garage makes me a car. I could stand in the garage this morning and my family could come in and what are you doing? Like, I'm a car. Didn't you hear me? Okay. No. Right? I Look. That doesn't, that, that, that doesn't make me a Christian anymore. Here's a good one. Then standing in a kitchen makes me a chef. If you see me standing in the kitchen, I'm not a chef. I'm hungry. Okay? But some people get stuck with that. I remember years ago, when we start, helped start a church in Florida, we had a guy, and um, nice guy. Forget what he was from another country. I forget what country he was. He had the accent. Just a wonderful guy. The pastor would have him 
on Sunday nights, he would get up and he would have him pray to start the, the service. He, he prayed very eloquently, by the way. He would quote a psalm. He, he, he didn't come to church for a few weeks. And I remember on a Saturday, I went by to see him. I'm like, hey, man, we've missed you for the last few weeks. I just coming by to make sure you're not sick, you know, everything's going well and, and all that. And he goes, I'm not coming to your church anymore. And we're like, why? And he sat there and fed me a, a false doctrine. He wasn't even saved. And I sat there, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, and I tried to share the gospel with him, and he rejected it. Coming to church didn't make him a Christian. Praying eloquently didn't make him a Christian. Quoting the book of Psalms didn't make him a Christian. He needed to have that relationship and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to go through some other things, but let me just say this. If you're not a Christian this morning, none of this is going to apply to you. You cannot progress if you've not been born. And so think about that <coughs> because it's very easy to take care of that. <coughs> then what's the second sticking point? The Red Sea. They came to the place where, of course, they passed through the Red Sea. That's the picture of salvation, right? Coming out of Egypt and going through the Red Sea. God parted it, amen? We didn't do anything. Yep. So, well, pastor, I'll, I'll be baptized and I'll, I'll do good works and I'll do that, all that to be saved. It doesn't work that way. You trust Jesus Christ. Those other things we do because we're saved. But they went through the Red Sea. Now is step two. God wanted to deal in their lives. God wanted to work in their lives. By the way, we call that sanctification. You say, what's that? That's a big word. So I can't even spell it. I can spell it. It's been a while, but I'll try. That just means we're, now that I'm saved, I'm going to start becoming more like the Bible, more like Jesus. Because God's going to work in my life. Although we go through the Red Sea, we are, when we go, after we go through the Red Sea or we get saved, we are a completely different individual. You know what the Bible calls us? A new creature. Now, I always thought about that creature. Like, you know, creature from the Black Lagoon. I don't know. Is that what he's looking at us? That just means a whole new person. That's what that means. In Ephesians, he says, we are his workmanship, a whole new product. There's everything is different about us. But understand that being a new person requires new actions. If we are a new creature, he said, old things are passed away. Amen. They're gone. We do new things now. What things? The things that God would want us to do. Amen. If we are a, his workmanship, a new product, we are created, he told us, unto good works. He said, listen, you're saved now. You're a new product. Go do good things. That's what God wants. By the way, can I just say this? That's a sticking point for a lot of people. Oh, they want salvation. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want God to do anything in their life. Man, you're missing out there. God wants to do one. Why in the world, if that old life was so, a, a life of sin that would take me to hell, why, would I wouldn't, why wouldn't I want something new once I've trusted Christ as my salvation? He says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it what? More abundantly. You know what? When someone says, do you want more? The answer is always yes. Yep. Are you with me? Yep. Were those mashed potatoes good? Yes. You know what they tasted like? More. Okay? Yep. You want $20 or 100 Give me 100 yep. You can break it into five 20s if you want. I'm good with that. So, so why would we say, oh, I just want the minimum life, Christ? No. He says, hey, I got the abundant life for you. Let's go. Bring it. Let's do this. Why would we want to stop? And by the way, we know that they struggled with that. Did they not? 
You would think after years of being slaves in Egypt and being brought out that they would be excited about God and just be on board with everything God wanted. Exodus chapter 15. You can turn there if you want, but I'm going to read it. <coughs> Exodus 15, 22. You know how long it took them to start griping? Three days. That party ended quick. Three days. Verse 22 of Exodus 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness, and they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, and they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, therefore the name of it was called Marah, and the people murmured against Moses. They already started griping. Yeah. I mean, look, look. Ten miracle plagues. You with me? Oh, parting the Red Sea. They're drowning the enemies that chased them into the Red Sea. And they're going to gripe because there's a little bit of a water shortage? I'm pretty sure God didn't bring them into the wilderness to kill them. God had a plan for them. We'll see that in a minute. And they started griping right off the, right off the bat. They didn't want the stuff that came with salvation. God wants us to move on to sanctification. You know why we don't? Because we look around. Well, I thought that if I got saved, all my problems would go away. No, no, they, 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 might, they might still be there. Now, by the way, with God's help, you can get through them. And by the way, let me say this, a lot of our problems are self-inflicted problems. Say, God, why'd you bring these problems in my life? Well, because you did this. But the ones that come our way is just a matter of course or just a matter of life. I'd rather go through them with God because they're coming either way. We look around. We start to complain. God, you know, God never promised an easy life, but he did promise an abundant life. And, you know, sometimes he just needs to get our attention. Because we look around us and then we look back. You know what they did. They started whining like, <coughs> you know, when we were in Egypt, we had food. I mean, they made it sound like it was like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And they had, you know, they stayed in a hotel. Man, they made them work long hours. They didn't pay them a penny, and they just threw food at them. It wasn't wonderful. But when you start griping about what God's doing, you know what happens? The past looks way better than it really was. By the way, quit looking to your past. We, we are so, I was going to say dumb, but that's mean. We are so ill-advised. You know, oh, what about my old girlfriend? You don't need to know about your old girlfriend. Take care of the wife you have. You know, that, that, that life, I remember all the excitement of that life. Do you remember the nonsense that came with it? See, Satan's really good at blurring that part, right? Let's not do that. Then, <clears throat> that's a sticking point. Right after salvation, we're not willing to make any progress at all. God's plan was to take them through the wilderness to get them into Canaan, which is a wonderful place. So that brought them to... The next place of sticking, the wilderness. <clears throat> what was the wilderness? Once God started working in our life, he was going to bring them, it was either 11 to 14 day journey through the wilderness to get to the promised land. But they had to surrender and go in. God wanted them to surrender to him. God didn't just want them <coughs> to get a bunch of stuff. God had wanted them. And they had to surrender their life to him. Look at verse 10 of, of Ezekiel. He goes, Wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. 
And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths. It's a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me where? In the wilderness. They walked not in this, my statutes. They despised my judgment, which if a man do them, he shall even live in them. You see, that was supposed to be a short journey of surrender to prepare them for the promised land. And by the way, God had already said, get this, their military and political and national success was tied to one thing, obedience to God. That was it. And they needed to get that settled in the wilderness, and they wouldn't surrender to it. They fought God all along the way. You say, I want to get to where God wants me to be. Then you need to surrender to him. You can't say, God, (coughs) I will follow you and go to where you want me to go as long as I agree. That doesn't work. Look, do you trust God? That's it. Do you trust him? If I trust him, I don't need to know where he's sending me. What did he tell Abraham? (coughs) Abraham, uh, go to a place. I'll tell you what it is when you get there. Can you imagine? Just like, where are you guys going on vacation? Oh, let's just get in the car and drive. We'll end up somewhere. Okay? And he's like, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'm on on my way. That's trust. When we surrender our lives to God, we're not just saying that we believe that we should do God's will or do what God says. We believe that doing what God says, here's the key, is best. That's where we struggle. We think if we follow God, we're going to be go kicking and screaming, and it's going to be miserable and horrible. No, it's best. Yes. Why didn't they want to surrender? <coughs> fear. They were fear, fearful. They looked over there and said, man, those boys that live over there, they're big guys. I know God had already clued them into that. They didn't want to fight. You know, we'll just go in. Everything's honky-dory. No, sometimes you got to put some effort in. You know, well, you know, we want, we want a sissy Christianity. By the way, you know why? Because we're a sissy society. I'll just be honest with you. I almost wonder what would happen if we get in a war. No, oh, yeah, that, how's that going to work with all these little snowflakes? Okay? Anyhow, there's just... But we're, we're soft. It's like, you know, sometimes you just got to man up. Or woman up, whatever, Okay? Say, well, it's hard. It's hard sometimes. You know what? It is hard. But you know what I found? You put the, pow- the effort in, God's right there. He's giving yeah. you the power you need. Amen. But we, don't, we won't take that first step. That's what surrender is, is taking that first step. So are you stuck there? What's another one? The last one here, and we'll move on. <clears throat> the promised land. Once they surrendered to God, they went into the promised land. You know what was waiting for them there? Separation. Look at verse 28 of the same chapter. We didn't read this verse. He says, For when I had brought them into the land, for the which I lifted up my hand to give unto them, they saw every high hill and all every high hill in the thick trees, and they offered there their sacrifices. It was a it was a it was a uh, an idolatrous type situation. And they presented the provocation of their offering. There also they made their sweet savor and poured out their jink offerings. Sometimes they would even do, try to do spiritual offerings in the wrong spots. 
Then I said unto him, What is the high place whereunto ye go? And the name thereof is called Bama unto this day. Wherefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, Are ye polluted after the manner of your fathers, and commit ye whoredom after their abominations? For when we offer your gifts, you make your sons to pass through the fire. They would literally, in some of the forms of worship, have to, have to sacrifice their children. Yeah, that's what, that's what the, the heathen idols were all about. Bottom line is here, look, when they went into there, they were going to have to be careful that they did not follow the people of the land. Because it wasn't that their doctrine, there, there's churches that I can tell you of, their doctrine is wrong. They don't teach that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. These people, the, the, the idols and the worship of that day was worse. I mean, it involved immorality. It involved child sacrifice. It was bad. And he said, don't you be like them. Don't you understand the reason I'm giving you this land and pushing them out is because of what they've done. Don't you do that. So you know what happened? They started getting involved. By the way, you know how they got involved? They started intermarrying. Remember that weird story of Balaam and Bait, you know, where the donkey talks to him? How many of you know what I'm talking about? By the way, in that story, you know who the smart one was? The donkey. The donkey was the smartest person in that story. You know what that whole thing was about? Balak wanted Balaam to come curse God's people, and God wouldn't let him. But you know what happened? If you read through the Bible, when you hear about Balaam, Balaam told the king how to get God to curse his own people. And you know what it was? Get them to intermarry with your people, and they'll start worshiping their gods. Right? You know, there needs to be a doctrinal, doctrinal purity. There needs to be a moral purity. God's people should not live like the rest of this unsaved world. We, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to take the pagan elements of our society. And by the way, I'm not knocking on our society for that. It's wrong. They don't know any better if they don't know Jesus Christ. I didn't know any better when I didn't know Jesus Christ. I didn't. I didn't learn that stuff until I became a Christian. But what we're trying to do is bring that into the church, thinking we'll reach the world. That's poison. And I'm not, we're not mean-spirited about anything, but the fact of the matter is, one of the reasons we get stuck giving ourselves and surrendering to God, because we know it requires change. And I'll just be honest with you, we don't like change. And so we need to be careful. So what is the problem? Where are you getting stuck? Now, by way of finishing here, let me give you two sticking point principles. How do you overcome these things? <clears throat> I want you to turn over. We'll read one verse. I'll make a couple of quick thoughts. We're done. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 23. God gave his plan and why he did this in the first place. It's very succinct. <clears throat> Deuteronomy <coughs> 6.23. Here's what God said. Here's what they said about what God was doing. And he brought us out from thence. Speaking of Egypt. He brought us out from thence. He brought us out from Egypt. Continue on though. That he might bring us in <coughs> to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. Do you get that? He said, I didn't just bring you out of Egypt because it was horrible, it was miserable, and it was rotten, although it was, and although God wanted to do that. He goes, I brought you out 
That's step one. Step two is to bring you into the promised land. They go together. What we want to do is we want out of Egypt, but we don't want into the promised land. What does that mean? First of all, God has a better plan. Get out of Egypt. That's my plan. I don't want you there anymore. I have something way better for you. And why? Because God has a better place. Some of you, you're with the plan about getting saved. You're not with about the plan about the place. And you're missing out. Don't miss out. God has it for you. Now, let me ask you. Are you stuck somewhere? (coughs) Maybe you're here this morning. You're stuck on salvation. You've never trusted Christ. Maybe you're stuck with the sanctification part. You're not quite understanding Christianity, and you're not willing to make changes. Maybe you're stuck at the surrender part. You're not willing to trust God enough to say, here's my life. You can have it. Maybe you're stuck at the separation part. When you're living in a different land, you have to live a different way. Living (coughs) the pagan lifestyle, which they saw every day of their life in Egypt, was contradictory to the lifestyle God wanted them to live in Canaan land. That's why, think about this. When Nebuchadnezzar took them captives, the first thing he did was take some of the sharpest of them and try to get them to conform to the Babylonian lifestyle because it made it easier to keep the captives under control, become like us. God says, this isn't the way a Christian lives. I got something better for you. See, what we want, we want the results of what he has for us without the recipe how we get those results. So where are you stuck this morning? Maybe you've only went this step and you need to take the next step. I encourage you this morning, let's take that next step. Because God does have a better plan and God does have a better place. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute if we may. (coughs) Every head bowed, every eye closed just for a minute. And let me say this (coughs) as we're closing our our, our eyes and bowing our head. You know, you might be early on in the process. You might be at the sanctification stage where you just got saved. That's, That's okay as long as you're going forward, right? When God brought them out of Egypt, it was supposed to be a two-week journey to get to, the, to, to Canaan land, but they needed to be taking that journey. That's okay. But some of us, it's been longer than two weeks. We ought to already be in Canaan land setting up house, and we're not. What's your sticking point? <coughs> now, let me say this to those of you that maybe you're at the first sticking point, salvation. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Here's the question. Are you 100% for sure that if you die today, you'd go to heaven? Or do you have some doubt? I heard that question many years ago in a church service, and I had doubt, but I got it taken care of. You say, Pastor, would nobody look around and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not 100% for sure if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know that for sure. Pastor, would you pray for me? If there's anybody like that, just raise your hand this morning. I'll pray for you. Anybody like that at all? All right, right here. I see your hand. I'll pray for you. Let's stand together.
Are you stuck somewhere today? Have you progressed a little and you're like, God, this is as far as I'm going? I encourage you, if you want to experience every blessing that Canaan land has, keep going. Break through that. Piano's going to play this morning, but God spoke to you. Why don't you come? Why don't you come?